Hello, Mountain. It's good to see everybody. Welcome. If you're a guest, we're really glad you're here. Welcome. Um, hey, we're, we're telling a lot of fish stories these days around Mountain, right? Seems like everyone's got a fish story. I'll tell you one of mine. When I was 10 years old, I was using a rubber worm, and I caught a fish this big. Anyway, some of you don't get it. Anyway, actually, we, have a, we do have a summer place up in Minnesota, and my mom loves to fish. And uh, here's a picture of my mom with one of the fish she caught one time. But a story about her is funny. She was out in the rowboat uh, away from the dock where we all were hanging out, fishing by herself, and she got one of her lures caught on a stump below the water, and she couldn't get it loose. And it was a windy day. She couldn't, every time she got over there, the wind would blow the boat and everything. So she's, she, she needs help. She's waving to us, and we're like, Mom's having a good time. Hi, Mom. Wave, you know, back. So she took matters into her own hand. It was her favorite lure. It was a MEP spinner, a Fury 3, if you know that. She didn't want to lose that bait. So she just took off her shoes, and somehow, I love this picture of my mom slithering overboard the edge of the boat into the water, hanging onto the boat, feeling around underwater, and trying to get a hold of that bait, and uh, got it undone. And then somehow, I don't know how she did it, but she pulled herself up and got back in the boat and continued fishing for another hour or so. Came back with wet clothes to tell us the story. I love that story about my mom. When you, when you really love something and want it back, you're willing to go a little overboard, aren't you? Uh, I guess that it's where my sister gets it. My sister, Kathy, lives in California now, but last summer she was fishing with her, her husband, Mark, and she caught a nice walleye. It's a nice-sized fish, and, of course, she's always thinking, well, I want to take a picture of that and show it to all my friends back home. But when they got back to the dock, that fish had been on the bottom of the boat, and it was flopping all over the place, had dirt all over it and pine needles. And she's like, well, I don't want it dirty for the picture. So she takes that fish, she bends, she bends down on the dock, and she puts it down in the water and goes like this to wash it off, forgetting that when you do that, you're putting lung, you know, oxygen through the lungs of the fish, through the gills of the fish, and, and it revives that fish, and that fish jolts and jumps out of her hands off the stringer is dazed and starts to swim away. Without, without hesitating for a second, my sister, with all of her clothes on, jumps in, bear hugs the fish, comes up, I got the sucker, she says, and she ends up on shore. Here's a picture of my sister, Kathy, with her walleye. You can see the puddle of water down there where uh, she uh, was drenched because she got in the water. Uh, you talk about going overboard. That was the one she didn't want to get away for sure. You know, those stories, that's nothing. Nothing compared uh, to how God feels about you and me and actually all people. Uh, God doesn't want any one of us to be the one that got away. And he goes to great lengths, overboard, you might say. God so loves the whole world that he gave his only son. That's incredible love. And this book of Jonah that we've been digging into, you know, it's kind of about a guy, Jonah, who goes overboard. But really, uh, the more we're into it, the more we see it's about a God who goes overboard. Overboard in a radical pursuit and unbelievable, steadfast, faithful love toward his people. And today we're going to try to get our arms around what does that mean for me and you? And how do we, how do we live now if this is true? That God loves in that kind of overboard way. 
So let's do a little recap of Jonah, first of all. Uh, We go back. um, Some of you might remember uh, Jonah was a prophet. It's a book in the New Testament, uh, Old Testament. It's 48 verses, very short, but it tells, has a lot in there. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah says, no, he does not go. In fact, he goes overboard the other direction. If you look at the map, you can see he was, instead of going east to Nineveh, which is about 500 miles, he went down to Joppa and went the other direction all the way over to Tarshish a long way. He's talking about going overboard. There's so many things in the story that are kind of overboard, if you will. Jonah runs from God and God wants him back. So God could have sent an angel. God could have you know, visited him in a dream, but instead God sends a huge storm. And this storm is horrific and it's, you know, it's going to practically wreck the ship he's on. It seems a little overboard to me. The sailors on the ship, they freak out because they realize they're all going to die and that it's Jonah's fault, right? And so what do they do? They throw Jonah overboard, right? Now he's drowning and, and in the drink and Jonah needs to be rescued, God could have sent a life ring. He could have floated a piece of driftwood his direction. He, he could have sent a mermaid. God could have sent a mermaid, like Daryl Hannah, remember? Jonah, come back to God. But no, God didn't do any of those things. What did God do? He sent a what? Huge fish, yeah, to swallow Jonah, which seems a little overboard to me. So here's this picture of Jonah. It's kind of where we were last week. Jonah, his whole life is going down, down, down. He's about to drown, drown, drown. And then he has this kind of awakening as God rescues him in his mercy. And he expresses it in chapter 2 in this beautiful prayer of thanks, a psalm of gratitude. Jonah chapter 2, verse 2, he says, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Man, it's amazing and beautiful when God does that. From the depths of the grave, I was dead and gone. I called for help, and you listened to me. I, 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 was, I was in the belly of the fish, but Lord, now I see in hindsight, you, I, was, I was actually being birthed into something new you had for me through your mercy. And so he just gushes about God's grace. And then in hinge points in verse 6 when he says, You, O Lord, brought me up out of the pit. Wow, when God does that to you, you feel so grateful and gratitude. Gratitude just gushes out of you like it does out of Jonah in chapter 2. And he concludes it in verse 9 by saying, with a song of thanksgiving, I'm going to make sacrifices to you. What I vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. So that's where we left Jonah. On top of the world, the prophet has come home full of gratitude for God's amazing grace in his life. So today, we're going to turn to chapter 3 and 4. And as we do, we have to pick up the last verse of chapter 2, and we see Jonah is being puked up on the beach. Chapter 10, chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So you can picture that. He's sitting there picking fish guts out of his hair, trying to figure out what happens next. And something amazing happens, and we discover that God hasn't given up on Jonah and still has plans for him. That's amazing to me. Check it out. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The word of the Lord came to him again. God God speaks to him again. Keep in mind, this is a guy who disobeyed God. He disrespected God. He snubbed God. He ran the other way from God. He failed in his mission. And God says, I'm not done with you. You're not done. The word of the Lord came to him again. Aren't you glad the word of the Lord comes to you more than once in life? 
Think of all the times we've rejected God. Think of all the opportunities we've had to fulfill our vows and make good, and we've, we've just failed. And the word of the Lord comes again and again, just like it did to Jonah. It comes to you again. It's coming to you right now. God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth and fifth chances. And the word of the Lord comes to us again and again. I'm going to play tomorrow in the uh, uh, Epic Golf Challenge. It's a fundraiser for our epicenter where we're going to send a bunch of kids to Camp Epic this summer over in Edgewood. Really looking forward to it. But I know the first thing I'll do when I'll get there is I go over to this table. I don't want anyone to see me, but I go over there, and they're selling mulligans at the table. Does anybody know what a mulligan is? A mulligan is for average golfers, not like me, but average golfers, you know, that might occasionally hit the ball in the water or the woods. And a mulligan is you get another shot. So I buy like 47 of them (laughs) and have them at the ready because everybody needs another shot sometimes. You know what? Everybody needs another shot in life. Um, And it's amazing how our trajectory can change if someone gives us another shot. I thought this would be fun. Uh, I'll, give you the, I'll, I'll give you a little bit about him, and you see if you can figure out who these famous people are, okay? She was dismissed from drama class with a note that read, you're too shy to move forward in acting. Who was that? Lucille Ball. Crazy, huh? A record company told them that we don't like your sound, and besides, guitar music's on the way out. Oh, this little group called the Beatles. Isn't that funny? This guy was cut from his high school basketball team, locked himself in his room and cried. Who's that? Michael Jordan, right? Still cries a lot. (laughs) This guy was told by a teacher that he was too stupid to learn anything and he should go into some field where he could rely on his personality rather than his limited intellect. Who do you suppose that was? Thomas Edison, inventor of the light bulb and the phonograph and like a thousand other things I don't understand. He was fired from a newspaper because he lacked imagination and original ideas. Who do you suppose that was? Walt Disney. Yeah, like uh, no, I, no imagination. The guy who fired him has no imagination. Before this man succeeded, he failed in business, had a nervous breakdown, struggled with depression, had a failed marriage, and lost eight elections. Who's that? It's Abe Lincoln. It's not just some of these famous people, right? It's all of us who know what it's like to fail in life. We all do. We all know what it's like to need a mulligan and another chance in life. I remember learning to ride my bike when I was a kid. I was a late bloomer in that way. I had friends who were riding two-wheelers when they were four and five years old, and I was like, wow, that ain't happening. I had a big wheel. Got it at a garage sale. Part of the problem was, we didn't have a bike for me. I was the youngest of four. It's like three, four kids, three bikes. So eventually my cousin gave us a bike, and that was nice of her. <laughs> but it was very large and clunky. I couldn't hardly reach the pedals from the seat, and it was a girl's bike with that bent bar. And I was like, oh. Finally, I remember I was, it was late in first grade. My parents helped me remember that, realize I could learn to ride a bike and they would help me. And I remember the day, like you probably remember the day when it happened for you, where I was out in the cul-de-sac with my mom and my dad and they were running alongside me and it was a lot of short little failed attempts, repeated instructions running alongside me. I, I don't ever remember them saying to me, oh, forget it, this will never work. You'll just ride a trike forever. Uh, They never said that. 
I just remember lots of running alongside and second chances and learning to trust them. And I feel like I have had the same experience in my life with God. As I think about some of the failed attempts at life and things I'm embarrassed by today, but how God has graciously, graciously still kind of decided to run beside me and help me. I hope that you are also experiencing in your life the ability to learn from your mistakes and to know that with God in your life, that's what he intends, is that your failure is not final but points to your future, to learn from it and to shape you somehow. You can try to hide your mistakes or you can be real and say, this is what happened, this is who I am, and know that the word of the Lord comes to you again and again, invites you into his work. So I don't care what someone's told you or what you've done or how you've counted yourself out. If you have messed up or screwed up and you're on the sideline, look up, sit up, wash the puke off your face, you know, the fish guts, and listen because the word of the Lord's coming to you again. God has something for you to do. So you can wallow in your past failure or you can move forward. And this is what we see. Here's a guy named Jonah who messed up just like we did. And God says, I'm giving you another shot. And some of you have never actually surrendered your life fully to the Lord. And, and the word of the Lord is coming to you right now. And I invite you to respond to that. Some of us have, but we're mostly living an external life of Christianity. And inside, we're running from God. And today's your day to hear the word of the Lord come to you and realize that my past does not determine my future. It's time to let God shape us. We all need that same thing. The word of the Lord to come to us, it's coming to you right now. Again, aren't you glad he does that? So we get a shot, we get a mulligan in life. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And God said, verse 2, God says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave to you. Not your message, my message. Go to that city of Nineveh. Now notice here. By the way, this word go is a word in the Hebrew. It means, to, it means go urgently, go immediately, go now, like exclamation mark, like if God gives you another chance and he says go, do it immediately before you talk yourself out of it. Do, respond right now. Now, do you notice that it's the same exact assignment that Jonah was given to begin with? God didn't say, oh, you know, listen, sorry, my bad. It's not you, it's me. And I shouldn't have given it to you. I should have asked Elijah. Don't worry. Let's, I'll downsize it, dumb it down for you. No, no, no. It's the same assignment. Go to, go to Nineveh. How many of you, are any parents of little kids? Let me see your hands. If you've got, you got little kids in your house, come on. Go ahead and raise them up if you're able to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's say one of the little kids in your house comes to you, and, and, and you say, it's time for bed. And they throw a tantrum, start screaming, run the other way. Okay, so if you're a smart parent, you're going to recognize the fact that, okay, they think I'm going to get tired and weary and wear me out, and I'll just forget about it, and I'll change my mind, and they'll let the little dearie stay up. But if you're smart, you'll recognize that's called manipulation, and you'll be very loving and firm and gentle all at once, and you'll put that little sucker in time out. And then you'll have a little talk and say at least two things. Number one, when you've calmed down, okay, number one, no more running, no more tantrums. And number two, it's still time to go to bed, right? God puts Jonah in timeout in the belly of a whale, and he calms himself down. He has a new perspective, and chapter three begins, and God says, okay, it's still time to go to Nineveh. He's a good, good father. 
And so after swimming around in the ocean in a hurricane and getting eaten for lunch by a fish and getting puked up in the sand, suddenly he has a change of heart. Jonah chapter 3, verse 3. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. And Nineveh was a very important city. Jonah obeyed the Lord. He heads over to Nineveh. Nineveh, um, on the eastern bank of the Tigris River, it is in what is today the modern city of Mosul, the second largest city in Iraq. We know from uh, history, it was a large and amazing place, about 120,000 people in those days, which would have been a major city. Uh, We know from archaeological digs, uh, seven and a half miles wall around the city, a huge royal palace, walls, uh, halls 40 feet wide and 180 feet long, amazing canals and aqueducts and gardens and fountains and huge fortified gates encircling 1,700 acres of city. Amazing place, and yet it was a place that was um, uh, very wicked and did not uh, serve and love God. And God says, okay, I mean it. I need you to go to Nineveh. And verse 4, chapter 3, on the first day, Jonah started into the city. Remember that phrase, started. Jonah started into the city. And he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. That's all we know he said. That was his sermon. What I want you to notice is started into the city. Again, you do a little digging around in the original language. It's Hebrew. And that, that word or phrase started into the city is literally a word. It's the Hebrew word kalalbao. Want to try it? Kalalbao. Try it. You should spit a little to say it properly. Kalalbao. It literally means to untie something, to loosen something so it's free to go. You get on your horse, you want to ride away, you can't tell you kalalbao. Untie it. Want your dog to chase a stick? Can't unless you unleash it. Kalalbao. And when God calls you to do something, you got to figure out what's holding you back and get untied from that, get set free from that so you can do what God is calling you to do. Be who God is calling you to be, what's holding you back, what's tying you down. you got to call all about. Sometimes it's a person. And they aren't thrilled with the idea of you moving closer to God because it threatens them or they have their reasons, and so they're pulling you back. And you might, some of us might need to call all bye-bye some friends if you're going to walk with God. Sometimes we get ourselves in situations or habits or ways of thinking, don't we, that just like tangle us and it makes it impossible to actually walk with Jesus. And so Hebrews 12 in the New Testament describes the life of faith as a run, as a walk with God. Hebrews chapter 12 says these words. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders or slows us down. Are you willing and ready to do that? Especially the sin that so easily entangles and trips us up. What's tangling you up? Sometimes it's just our self-will. I want to do what I want to do. I don't care what God says. It could be a fear. You're financially fearful. You have to have security about everything. So if God asks you to give something, you say no. To help someone, you say no because you're, you're more afraid. Or it's your reputation. You're worried that if you did this, people would think you're a whacked-out Christian or something. What do you got to get untied from to say yes to God? Because God is saying go. The Word of God is coming to you again today. 
And there's something often in our lives that holds us back from saying yes and living into the life that God has for you. So what's it going to be? And I hope that God's Spirit shakes us up, stirs us up today. Hope he stirs you up. So you just say to yourself, what is it that I'm going to finally let go of or be unloosed from, get untied from? Jesus, help me, free me. I hope some prayers get said right now. Just help me. Set me free, God. I want to follow you. I want to, I want to be untied so I can walk with you. Kawabao. Now, Jonah was able to do that somehow. And where did he go? He went to Nineveh, right? Well, Nineveh... Um, Nineveh, I'm not sure we're able to fully appreciate um, how dramatic this story is because we, we don't live in those times, but we've got to re- appreciate a couple things here. One, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and Assyria was the most feared, dreaded, and hated nation on the globe, and especially for the Jewish people. The Hebrew people, as God's people, they, Assyria stood for everything that they opposed, but more than that, they were just dreadful um, ruthless warriors. You can read about it in the history books. It, it's rumored that, that when they knew that the Assyrians were attacking a village, whole towns would commit suicide because they would rather die that way than experience what was coming. Again, if you look in the history, you can see some of the things they would do. They would go in, they would just kill people, just maraud these villages, the surviving women. They would violate them, and then they would kill them. They would torture children, abuse them in every way imaginable. They would take the husbands outside of town and skin them alive. And then they would bury them up to their necks in the sand. And then they would pull their tongues out and drive their tongues with a stake into the ground so they could suffer and die there in the heat or go crazy in their head. You can imagine the horror of that and the dread and the fear and the hatred toward the Assyrians. Jonah probably had relatives that had experienced something at the hands of the Assyrians. And God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, I hate those people. God, there's a lot of things I'll do for you, but that's where I draw the line. And it gets kind of personal in a hurry, doesn't it? To figure out where you draw the line. What, you know, there's a lot of things we'll do as long as it's, you know, makes sense to me. God says to do something. Sounds overboard to me. Do we do it? He goes, he preaches that very short message. It's only eight words in English, five words in Hebrew, firm but hard. You'd have messages. Wouldn't it be awesome to have sermons that short? Well, we would if the response was the same as they had. I mean, do you know what happens next? This is crazy. Forty days and then it will be overturned. Look what happens. He preaches, unbelievable. Verse 5, it says, the Ninevites believed God. Wait, what? Are you kidding me? All of them, the greatest to the least, are you kidding? This would have been the most difficult thing for anyone in that time period to to believe. They they, they would not have believed that the Ninevites, no, they would have said, no way. And the Bible comes back and says, way. Yeah. By the way, did you you hear that Howard Stern is now a Christian and he does a talk radio show on Christian sexual purity? No way? Yeah, that's how you feel, right? Well, I don't know if that's actually happened yet, but... Okay? You starting to get the feel for this? Okay, like Miley Cyrus and Two Live Crew are now doing uh, Christian music. Or Richard Dawkins and Bill Mayer now are uh, televangelists. Right? All of Las Vegas Strip, 
All those casinos are now churches, and all of Hollywood is converted to Christ. Isn't it amazing? You'd say, what? But it's genuine. And they fasted, a symbol of humility and repentance and godly sorrow. They put on sackcloth, which was like uh, made of goat's hair, so it was really bad material. And it was itchy and scratchy as a way of saying we repent and we want, we want to actually sort of remind ourselves physically that, that we want to get God's attention and be uncomfortable with what, we're, what we've done and where we've been. And then the king makes a decree in, chapter, in verses 6 through 9, and he says, everyone's going to do this. I urgently am I'm going to lead the way. And he makes this proclamation about everyone fasting. In verse 8, he says, let everyone, man or beast, be covered with sackcloth. Everyone should urgently call on the Lord and give up their evil ways and their violence. Don't just do it with your lips. Do it with your life. Mean it and change and it's this incredible act of humility and repentance. In verse 9, he just throws up his hands and he says, Who knows? Maybe God will have mercy on us. Maybe there's a second chance for us too, like there was for Jonah. I don't know. But we just got to give it our best shot. Who knows? And that kind of sincerity and humility and heartfelt cry to God is what I know I need more of in my life. I bet you do too. Where we push our pride down and let the grace of God into our life. And that happens through humility and brokenness. And I pray that happens every time we're together in every one of our worship gatherings. That we would get past our smug self-centeredness and our self-righteousness long enough to say, God, I really need you. Just humble ourselves. You know what? The Bible says God loves all people, but he really responds to the humble. So humble ourselves. God opposes the proud, but he lifts up the humble. So there's great freedom in our brokenness. That's why a mountain's a place where you can just be real. You come in here and you act all perfect. You don't belong here, okay? You know, no perfect people allowed. Go on out of here. Come back when you're normal and broken like the rest of us, because then, then we can hear from God, okay? Who knows what can happen when you throw yourself at a God like that? Well, you know what happens? Verse 10. This is what happens. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion on them. He did not bring on them the destruction he had planned. Wow. Friends, that's amazing love. No one is outside the reach of God's amazing grace. Now, that seems to me like a really beautiful and good place to end the book of Jonah right there. That'd be nice. Unfortunately, it doesn't end there. It's really annoying. Very upsetting. In fact, if you want to, just reach in your Bible and pull out chapter 4 and just tear it up and throw it away because it's dumb. I don't like it. But I guess we got to go through. It's like an orchestra. It's like an orchestra piece. Chapters 1 through 3 is a beautiful orchestra piece. And it's a masterpiece. It's been played beautifully. All the instruments end, and the, and the orchestra conductor brings it to a conclusion. And every, every instrument ends perfectly on time. They, the, they come back, and they give their lives to God. And it's a beautiful ending. And then right in the silence after it's over, one stupid clarinet goes, That's chapter 4. That's chapter 4 of Jonah for me. I don't like it. Because the Ninevites come to God, and guess what? Chapter 4 begins, Jonah's ticked. He doesn't like it. He's mad. So in chapter 1, when God said, go to Nineveh, and he doesn't, we don't know why. We assume it's probably because he's angry. No, excuse, excuse me. We assume it's because he's afraid, like he's going to get his head chopped off. We don't know why, but chapter 4 tells us why. And the reason is he can't stand those people. And he doesn't want them to have another chance. He hopes they'll burn in hell. 
because these people, they turn his stomach. Those people make him mad. They hurt him. There's so much he doesn't understand or get about how they are and how they act. They've offended him. They stand for everything that he doesn't like. They tick him off. He doesn't relate to them. They're repulsive. So who's that for you? We all have people like that, right? That we find kind of weird or strange, off-putting. We just, it's like, ugh, I just don't get We won't really talk about it too many places, maybe our living room. But most of the time, we don't talk about it. They're just, but those people are gross. They're strange. They're weird. And you know, it's just the other. They frustrate you. They've offended you. Or you can't stand their posts on Facebook. Because they have a different political view. Or those black people, those white people, those Asians, those Latinos. You know how they all are. Those rich people, those poor folk, those city dwellers, those southern people, those darn Yankees. And it it just kind of brings to the fore some of who we really are and how touched we've been by the grace of God or not. So chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, this is is what happens. The, the, The Ninevites come to faith, and Jonah was greatly displeased. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was back at home? I warned you this was going to happen. That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. Sheesh, he's shaking his head. Next verse. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and bounding. I knew you'd get a big old soft spot in your heart, big old lump in your throat. Every time someone comes repenting to you, you can't seem to help yourself. I knew this was going to happen. I knew you'd even give them a second chance. Oh, this is too much to bear. God, there are a bunch of rebellious snakes in the grass. Don't you see what they've done to you? Haven't you seen what they've defamed your name? God, they're playing you. They don't mean it. They're not going to, it's not going to stick. You better burn them before they burn you. So ticked off. And isn't it amazing to remember that here's a guy who still smells like fish vomit because he was rescued by an amazing God and he couldn't stop singing loud enough praise for the grace of God in his own life, but now he's deeply offended that God might want to offer it to someone else. Not fair. Friend, let me ask you, aren't you glad God is not fair? You better be. You know what? We complain all the time. Well, God's not fair. I'm getting the jip in life. Everything didn't go in my way. And that's how we say God isn't fair. Listen, listen. God is not fair, but not for the reason we think. God's not fair because he gives us way more grace than we deserve. He gives us more blessing and compassion than we deserve. God is not fair. It's not fair that he kept coming after Jonah. It's not fair that he went to the Ninevites and gave them another shot. It's not fair that he doles out mulligans for free. It's not fair that he sent his son to die on the cross. That wasn't fair. That's what grace does. It's not fair. He's the God of second chances, and he makes all things new. So the rest of chapter 4 is kind of strange. Jonah's so mad that he prays again. Verse 3, now, Lord, take my life. It's better for me to die than live. I don't want to even, if they're going to live through this, I don't want to see it. God says in verse 4, are you sure you have a right to be that angry? 
Jonah goes outside of town and he sits down to pout, watch it all and just get away from things. Sitting out there in the Iraqi desert under the sun, God compassionately sends a plant to grow up and give him some shade like a nice umbrella. He's so grateful and loves that plant. He's like, oh, this is awesome. Next day, God sends a worm. It eats the roots of the plant, and the plant withers and fades, and it's gone. That sends Jonah over the top. He's lost his mind. He's completely berserk. He just like, verse 9, he just, he just like, he says, I'm so upset, I want to die. God, just take me. And God says again to him, Jonah, verse 9, he says, is it really right for you to be angry because the plant died? And like I say sometimes when I'm in an argument with my wife and I'm completely irrational, yes, it makes perfect sense. I'm angry enough to die about it. Okay, Jonah. And then the whole book ends right here in verses 10 and 11. Then the Lord said, Jonah, you feel sad and sorry and all upset about that plant, but that wasn't your plant. My plant. You didn't put it there. It came quickly and it's gone. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people. And they're all living in spiritual darkness. They don't know their right hand from their left. Don't you think I should be concerned about that great city? You get all upset about this or that or the other thing. God says, now you know what I'm concerned about. Now you know what I'm concerned about. Well, that's the end of the book of Jonah. Told you it was frustrating. And we don't know what Jonah does. I mean, you can write your own happy ending if you like to, but the Bible doesn't. We don't know what Jonah does, which is the Bible's way of asking us, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with this amazing, extravagant, relentless, pursuing, overboard love of God? What are you going to do? Who are you going to be? How are you going to live? Let me give you three quick things to think about. First, a question. Are you asleep to the needs around you? Are you asleep to the needs that God has put right around you? Jonah was asleep to the needs around him. He was self-consumed. Remember, he wouldn't go to Nineveh because they were dirty, rotten, scummy pagans. So he gets on a ship. Who did God put him with? A bunch of sailors who were dirty, rotten, scummy pagans. And then a storm comes, and it's breaking up. Where's Jonah? Asleep in the bottom of the boat. And they are the ones, the pagans come down and say, will you get up and pray to your God? Put your faith to work. Can't you see we're dying here? And friends, we do this all the time. As Christian people, as the church, we're asleep in the bottom of the boat and the world is dying with so many needs all around us all the time. It's more than just being caught up in our own little hurts, our own little problems, our own little worlds that we're trying to work, adding a little God on the side. Friends, don't be asleep to the needs around you in your family, in your neighborhood, on your block, that person at work who needs you to be compassionate. The person who needs you to actually put your faith to work. Be a Christ follower and live it out. Do something. Don't be asleep. The needs are all around us, friends. That's why we're planting a new campus in Abingdon. God says, should I not be concerned about the people in Abingdon? We're like, I guess you are, so we'll go. And everyone in this church needs to either go to Abingdon or step up and serve at the campus you're at somehow. That's what I hope you do. Don't be asleep to the needs around. Hey, that's one reason also why we do short-term global trips all the time at Mountain. We've got a team right now that landed a couple days ago 
in Kenya, in our Missions of Hope partnership in Nairobi. We've got a picture of two of them here. Here's a, they're in a classroom with a bunch of our kids that we sponsor. And here's a Jim and Sue Payne meeting their sponsored child, which is like an amazing experience. And they actually recorded a short video for us to greet from our team in Kenya. So we'll hear a short message from them now. Hey, Jumbo Mountain. This is uh, the Kenya team here. Uh, we're in country, ready to go. We've been sent to this land, just like Jonah was sent, uh, but we came here willingly. We're excited to be here, uh, working with the Gerbers, working with Kylie. We're sit, uh, here right now at Hannah's School, and uh, looking forward to a great week with Missions of Hope this week. Kwahiri! Okay, so Kwahiri means goodbye in Swahili. So, friends, let's not be asleep. Let's ask God to wake us up so we can see needs that are right around us all the time. Second question for you. Have you given up on anyone? Have you given up on anyone? Like, they're too far gone. They'll never come back to God. They'll never change. God couldn't even change them. See, Jonah flees because he doesn't believe God can change the city of Nineveh or the people in it. He's become cynical and jaded. What about us? What about you? Do you look at society? Do you look at certain kinds of people or places and just think, well, we just want to let that go? Pray for the easy stuff. Do you believe radical change is possible by the power of God or not? And when you give up on someone, you're casting your vote. So, what about you? you know, have you given up on anyone? Anyone that you feel is too far outside the reach? Let's just pray that God would put a burden on our hearts. For that person that maybe we stopped praying for, that person we've given up on inviting because we just don't know. Maybe so many people in this church are here. I'm so glad someone didn't give up on me. God didn't give up on Jonah. He didn't give up on the Assyrians. He didn't give up on you. Don't you give up on anyone because nothing's impossible with God. Third, Go love the people you can't stand. Go love some people. Like, go love a person you can't stand because God loves you. You might have thought I would say, go love people you can't stand because God loves them. Well, yeah. But the reason we love people we can't stand is because of the incredible mercy and love that God has already shown you and me. If that comes in you, it changes you, and you, do, you, you, you want to share that grace with others in a way that Jonah couldn't bring himself to. So I don't know who it is for you. It might be your ex. It might be someone of a different political persuasion. It might be that person who gossips about you. It might be that neighbor whose dog poops on your doorstep. Those people who disagree politically with you or the educated or the not educated, whatever. We all have our ways of feeling self-righteous about those other kind of people. And God says, go overboard. Love love. Let me pray for you. Lord God, we thank you for your faithful love toward us. We ask you now to help us in our own hearts and minds to be awake to the needs around us and to see them in a fresh way, even today and this week. And God, we 
ask you to forgive us for giving up on the things and people that really we need to surrender to you and believe that you change hearts and know that nothing is impossible with you. And we ask that you would change our hearts to be able to love people that we can't stand. Help us to do that this week with someone who creeps us out. In the name of Jesus, amen.